Shopify helps you sell at every stage of your business. Like that, let's put it online and see what happens stage. And the site is live. That we opened a store and need a fast checkout stage. Thanks, you're all set. That count it up and ship it around the globe stage. This one's going to Thailand. And that, wait, did we just hit a million orders stage? Whatever your stage, businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for your $1 a month trial at shopify.com slash listen. Nothing to read, right? Nothing to read this show. Okay, good. Nothing Go. to read here. Nothing to read. Keep moving. Keep moving. Nothing to read. Hit it, Jarrah. Wow, Jarrah hit it. That's good. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> Our tech is advancing. <laughs> wow! <laughs> she just scared me. <laughs> Brothers and sisters, welcome to Penn's Sunday School, starring Penn Gillette. My name is Michael Godot. Matt Donnelly, Penn, and I are broadcasting from Show Creator Studios South here in Las Vegas. This show will try to get to the discussion we promised on Sunday. You know, Jesus' swimmer body and Godot and Penn trying to get it. And Penn hanging with Tim Jennison of Tim's Vermeer. Here he is preaching love, Mr. Penn Gillette. Yeah, preaching love, preaching love. So I was in San Antonio. Like I said. Are we doing the same show again? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm going to repeat it. And uh, I got to I gotta spend some time with Tim. But first, I want to say, uh, 20 years ago, when I first got in my, in my uh, house at the Slammer, mm-hmm. which incidentally, I first bought the Slammer 25 years ago last week. Oh, wow. Uh, I got in my head this sentence, Jesus had a swimmer's body. Mm-hmm. And I really, really wanted to buy a billboard in Vegas <laughs> that said, Jesus had a swimmer's body. Yeah. Just nothing but that. Because I believe it's a very important thing for me to do. Because my understanding of all art is very, very linear. Mm-hmm. It's very easy for me to understand people who have a clear idea. But the stuff that's just... uh Poetry, real poetry, I have to really work hard on. And to me, Jesus had a swimmer's body is a kind of um, tangential disrespect for the Bible that seems to be not directly blasphemous, right? not intellectual, right? but just kind of talks about how we portray... Uh, this religious figure, it talks about him being white in a certain sense. Right. Talks about the way it's presented uh, non-historically. It has, to me, a lot of poetic content sure. without being directly blasphemous. I mean, you could say to your hardcore fundamentalist, did Jesus have a sword in his body? And it wouldn't be like saying, fuck God. Right. It's a different thing. Mm-hmm. And I really like that and get obsessed with it. And finally... I worked the line into our show. <laughs> so Jesus had a swimmer's body is a line in the Penn and Teller show at the Rio. Nice. And I love saying it. <laughs> I love saying Jesus had a swimmer's body. Now, that being said, I had, did I tell you about, did I talk about my interval training stupidity? A little bit yes. of it. Where I started to just do jump rope really right. intently with no warm up yep. and hurt my back and fuck yeah. myself up. Yeah, yeah. So I started swimming. Right? Me too. Yeah. And I love it. It's great, isn't it? I'm going to get an endless pool. 
Ah, because Teller's, Teller's been swimming in an endless Teller pool. Teller's a swimmer's body as well. <laughs> Teller's been swimming in an endless pool for 20 years. Yeah. So he. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. That, that is endless. <laughs> so far as we can tell, it's entirely endless. <laughs> I've been going to the municipal pool because it's a buck because I'm an old guy. It's a dollar to work out. A dollar to swim? One dollar to swim. How, how, how long does it take you to get there? Nah, 15 minutes. Is it drive 15 yeah, minutes? Yeah, 15 minutes each way. Each way. And then what do you do? You go in the locker? I go in the locker room and <laughs> change and have to shower before I go into Pet's the pool. Face about locker room. And, it's great. <laughs> and I like all of those things as long as there's no one else there. And there aren't other people there, so it's pretty nice. Is there a steam room too? No, there's not. Is no. there always a, a, a taint toweling talker? Because that's what I find... A what? There's always an older guy, talking. always just toweling talon away at the taint, one leg up on the bench, telling <laughs> stories. No, nope. There's nobody really, else there. As, as far as I understand, asserting dominance. That's what I understand. <laughs> Becoming the alpha of the if locker you're, room. If you're, if you're drying your taint while talking about football. Yeah. You're letting everyone know that we're in your locker room. Yeah. That's what I feel <laughs> when I go to one. I've also had people. When I, all old Chinese guys. When, when I used to swim there. When I used to swim at the casinos. Yeah. There'd always be a stark naked guy who wanted to talk finances with me. <laughs> How's the show selling over there? While he dries his ball sack. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How are you selling over it? Are you doing okay? Yeah. <laughs> Down in the celebrity room. What are you putting in there at night? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. We, we're doing. I guess we're doing. I guess our average is about. Uh, we're doing about ninety percent capacity. Really? Yeah, yeah. I saw Sinatra there. Uh, okay, good. <laughs> good. You are a man, down? sir. <laughs> you are a man. And then they also they put talc on themselves. Yes. And it's talc that smells out of that green can talc. You know that green tan can talc <laughs> with a guy with a top hat on the cover on the yeah. on the thing. <laughs> You know what I'm talking about, right? No. It's a green, it's it's body talc. I'm very specific yeah. in my talc requirements. <laughs> and it's it's a green no cornstarch. Yeah, it's a green uh, isn't cornstarch more effective? That's what I've heard. I only use it for clown makeup, so I can't actually answer that question. Oh, but I've heard cornstarch is more effective than cornstarch blotches up when you're doing clown makeup and big chunks of your face will fall off. So you'll have oh. a splotchy clown face. I don't want so that you need on pure my... talc. You need pure talc if you're clowning. Okay. But for me, what I've discovered is that when I swim laps, I, I fall into a rhythm. You know, I guess everybody probably does that. And you falling into a rhythm is it's really pretty amazing. I'm you... very bad at this. I freely admit I. I've watched you when yeah. music's playing, tap your foot. Uh huh. And there's there's a different drummer like my, in your it's head. Like I'm swimming. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so you know, I do stroke, breathe, stroke, breathe, stroke, 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 breathe, and I fall into this while I'm doing my laps. Mm -hmm. You know, so I'm breathing each time my arm comes around on the left side, you know, stroke, breathe, stroke, breathe, stroke, 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 Well, you shouldn't breathe, breathe too much. Well, uh, yeah, that's apparently. Go ahead. <laughs> what I've discovered is you should have a stroke once, once I fall into that rhythm, I will drown rather than break it. <laughs> I have trouble 
taking a breath in the middle of the stroke, stroke, stroke thing because yeah. I've I've just fallen into this rhythm, mm-hmm. and I'm I, I'll if I you find me drowned at the pool, it's because I was counting. I have been deciding that I'm going to do intervals while I'm swimming. So I swim, swim super hard. One lap as hard as I can, oh, and then spend that. the next three laps almost drowning, just uh-huh. breaststroke, trying <laughs> to get my head above the water while gasping, and I'm gasping. Right. And I checked uh, at my age, my ideal, um, my maximum heart rate should be 154. Right. 156, because you you subtract your age from 220. Right. That's your okay. maximum heart, and then you add 17. Uh, if you're in the water, oh. because you, you add 17 beats per minute in the water automatically because you're 17 lower in the water, your heart rate. Oh. So I get to 140 during that, mm-hmm. which puts me at 157 right above my maximum. You're supposed to get 90% of your maximum. Mm-hmm. I get 100% of my maximum. But I do about 20 minutes and a nice average. And the amazing thing is I actually feel good after it. Right. I that, I really like the swimming. I feel great after swimming. But here's the one thing that bothers me a lot. Uh, we we are, are, the ceiling fell in in our house. Okay, that would bother me. What? <laughs> that doesn't bother me. There was bad rain. Yeah. And there was a leaking, and there was a bad thing. So now workmen are working in our house for two months. There's this petitioned off area that they're working on fixing. It's going to be all fixed and stuff. Good. We don't have part of our house, but there's workmen in there. Now, I believe, what is the etiquette on this? If you have someone who is working at your house uh, or you have someone that cleans your house once in a while, yeah, are you allowed to swim naked? Hmm. <laughs> it's your house. Yeah. Right? You're in the water. I don't do backstroke, so it's dick down. <laughs> right? So they're looking at a little bit of bumps of my ass. Yeah. Um, you Probably to... harassment. You're probably not allowed to do not that. Not allowed to that swim. That would be my guess. Really? Is your pool big enough to swim laps? Well, I'm going to get an endless pool in there. Oh, that's, right. that's, that's right. not then an issue. Will. But I go but back. Then you'll never make it all the way across. You'll die trying to do your interval training. <laughs> but do they I... have a 20-second setting on it? Uh, they have... The new teller has is is a steam powered. This is a twenty year old <laughs> endless pool. But the new ones you can put in a program, right? So I will put. Oh, in a, okay, that's I'll, funny. I'll put in a program <laughs> that says slow, 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 <laughs> slow, 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 <laughs> slow, 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 and then it'll just the water will come at me, and I'll try to stay in the same place. Now I also got goggles. That are good. I decided this time, very important thing. When I used to swim a long time ago and used to go to like the, yeah, the, the pools in, gym, in, yeah. in New York and stuff in gyms, yeah. I had little Speedo goggles right. that went right over my eyes. Sure. Yeah. And they were not comfortable and not good. Right. And I never could get them to adjust right. So I went on to Amazon looking at goggles <laughs> and I went, wait a minute. I'm not going to be, at least not for a couple of years, Olympic. Right. <laughs> so why don't Start I get slow. a big, stupid face mask? That's what I've got. That will just give me panoramic vision and keep my eyes from getting chlorinated. Yeah. And I'll just swim in that. And, you know, if it does take, you know, a tenth of a second off my 100 meter. <laughs> <laughs> That's like wearing sweats while you work out. On race day, you'll go to the little ones and you'll fly. You'll set new records. I'm not sure there's going to be a race day. <laughs> <laughs> now, and let's pull your six seven. 
Do they make one? Is it harder to shop for? (laughs) I'm putting it on the side of our pool. Oh, okay. It'll be in the pool. I'll be swimming endlessly across the pool, widthwise, not lengthwise. Uh, They can install it into your pool. Yeah, yeah. It goes into pools pretty easily. It says self-installed, which. That's not, that's not the way it's going to go down. That's like Ikea. You're going to pull a guy off your roof and bring him down there and have him put it here? No, we are, there's, there's people that will do it. Oh, okay. Say. And also, of course, it's a harder installation in our pool than it would be another one. Yeah. Just because. So, yeah, self stands for uh, uh, some employee who likes fixing things. <laughs> right? So, yeah. so I'm going to. I'm gonna, so there's people that. Will do. you wear clothes for that installation? <laughs> I, I know. That if my children are home, they will reprimand me for being naked. I also know that if my children are going to bring friends over, I have to even wear a shirt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Moxie's made that rule. That's a, that's a, that's a spoken rule. Yeah, spoken rule. Put, yeah. On, put on a shirt. Put on a shirt. Gym shorts are not enough. When I went, you know Jonathan Ross? Yeah. hosted. I went over to his house uh, to visit him yeah. in his home. And he answered the door in the tiniest Speedo bathing suit I have ever seen, <laughs> skin tight, uh, and nothing else. And as Jonathan Ross invited me, Jonathan Ross said, my daughter says that I cannot wear this when company's coming over. And I said, Pet is my friend. I'll wear it. <laughs> so Jonathan spent the whole day in a tidy, tidy. I mean, what's it called? A banana hammock. Banana hammock. Yeah. yeah, that's what he was wearing for the whole time I was over Jonathan's house. Yeah. Just as a statement about his daughter. When my friends are coming over, I will wear whatever the fuck I want. You understand? <laughs> whatever the fuck I want. Yeah. Um, when you come over to my house, yeah, I will wear as little as I want. Right. But you don't think? Okay, your job is you are doing some sort of maintenance around a house. Yeah. There is a window between you. And in the backyard, the uh, uh, one, one of the owners of the house yeah. is swimming in an endless pool. Uh, and around the bubbles, there is his <laughs> naked ass sticking up. Yeah. You think that's harassment? I think that many people would find that harassment, yes. I think that would be illegal. As a worker... I'm just hoping that either this is a, <laughs> yeah doesn't mean is, I'm not dreaming of it <laughs> yeah but this is a house policy and your wife also takes laps or that I'm earning karma in the next house I work on <laughs> <laughs> or I go back to that uh, or I go back to that old joke and where I'm at the bar and, and the guy says yeah I didn't ask for a little guy who plays piano either oh, yeah yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, uh, I I I do like swimming naked better than with clothes on. Yeah. Okay, be gone soon. Do you wear a suit that has inner stuff in it, like uh, that? You know that white yeah, mesh, white yeah. mesh. I hate that. Well, if you get the, <laughs> this is going to turn ugly. If you get the one with the mesh where the holes are too big, it's very uncomfortable. Right. But if you get the fine mesh, it's okay. I, I, I wear it's a real fine mesh you've got. Into. The fine mesh, uh, yes. Fine, <laughs> that's what your balls say. Yeah. There's another fine mesh you've got. That into. makes them happy when they can say that. I, I wear basketball shorts. Yeah. That's probably better than the large mesh. Yeah. I would just, it's as close to nothing as possible. Yeah. Well, I have the, I have the kind of the light. But maybe one. I'll ask Jonathan Ross what he was wearing. <laughs> get one of those. I think technically you could get away with that. That seems fine. I think you should wear a bathing suit that has a human butt on the bathing suit. <laughs> That's hear me, fine. Hear me out. 
<laughs> when you welcome them in. And so that way, when you are swimming with your ass hanging out, they think you're just wearing that bathing suit. Yeah. 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 Like Trump, Trump, <laughs> oh. a Trump Loy bathing suit. Yeah. That's a good idea. <laughs> yeah. Now we're talking. Pictures. Yeah. I was wondering, as I played the bass before the show. Yeah. Um, uh, wait a minute. We're going to break for an ad. Oh. <laughs> right now. Now we're coming back. That was okay. a good tease. When I, when I play bass before the show, yeah. I look at people in the audience. And I often think to myself, why don't people wear flesh-colored clothes more? <laughs> I mean, really, get, aren't we at a level now where you could really match skin tone exactly? Yes. Because, yeah. boy, is it startling when people wear even close to skin tone. Yes. I think we should wear exact skin tone clothing. That's our new product. <laughs> next Penn Sunday School. Next Penn Sunday School Live podcast. Next best thing to naked. Wearing flesh-colored shirts. That'd be great. I also... Here's the thing. Uh, my base uh, has a little crack in it because I punch it. <laughs> I play the base very, very rough. Uh. So, uh, get this. We were going to take my base to a luthier mm -hmm. in L.A. <laughs> and That's an odd lift you got. <laughs> exactly. Well, here's what, that's the whole point of it. Uh. That's the whole point of it. So I said to a friend of mine, uh, we have to go to a luthier. And she said, what's a luthier? And I said, it's a person who takes care of stringed instruments, builds them, or repairs them. It's a common word. People know the word luthier. And then in order to show what a common word it was, I looked it up on the web. And there was a little speaker with lines coming out of it. I think they're stink lines, but they use them as to mean <laughs> noise. Mm -hmm. But in cartoon lingo, they're stink That's noise. Stink. Yeah. We got a stinking speaker here is what it means. Yeah. Or surprise. Yeah, surprised stinking speaker. <laughs> Would you like to surprise this stinking speaker? And I hit the button, and what came over that speaker shocked me. It said Luthier. Uh-huh. Oh. Luthier. And I went, I've been mispronouncing it. I have been mispronouncing this word. And we're going to go to L.A., and then we found out that there is a Luthier in Vegas. Ah. Didn't you have someone miraculously rebuild your base here in Vegas? Oh, uh, no. <laughs> yes. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> this is how I contribute to the podcast. <laughs> I thought for there was, I thought there was some emergency rebuilding of oh, your yeah, base. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There was fell apart. A, a guy who was, a, who was a really good bass player yeah. and knows how to take it apart, help me out, save me. Okay, okay. But that's not actually, he's not actually a luthier. Got it. So then someone said. It's not luthier? The, the but probably Lou T.A. The guy's <laughs> name in, in L.A. His name is Lou T.A. <laughs> the uh, bass player for Ka, uh -huh. who was a, not Ah, uh, Ka. 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 Got it. Uh, is uh, a monster. And he had a Lou T.A. here. Ooh. So he recommended, don't go to L.A., fool. Yeah. Right here we got buy American or buy buy American jobs. Yeah. There's a tariff on the L.A. <laughs> What kind but of monster? There is a tension, though, of like, anytime you need something legit to go to L.A. for it, there are always Vegas people are like, motherfucker, there's people in Vegas who want to do things in this town. Right, right. We take care of that. I yeah. believe, I believe werewolf. <laughs> and um, so we got this local luthier. Okay. Lude. Ludier. Ludier. Or the D is the pronunciation. Ludier. Wow. And, um, Very strange. And so he was looking at my base. And boy... If you want someone to work in your base, this guy was perfect. Oh, yeah. Tall, thin, hair slicked back, kind of semi-rockabilly. Yeah. And 
heavy Nashville accent. Oh, nice. Really nice. That makes you feel good. Really good. So I said to him, you know, I, I play really rough. I kind of beat the shit out of it. He went, that's what it's there for. <laughs> I'll take care of her. Oh, yeah. that's great. And then I told him, did, did you know it's pronounced Luthier and not Luthier? He said, I've been pronouncing it wrong for 15 years. I'm going to impress the next guy I see. <laughs> we like this guy. Yeah. He also uh, went by his last name. What was his name? His name is, uh, uh, Bert said to me, his name is Chris Davis or Chris Davies. I don't know, Chris Davies. But everybody just calls him Davies. Okay. And no one calls him by his first name. All right. And I felt so good about my base that even when he said things that were appalling, I still felt comfortable. I said, this crack here, going to drill a tiny little pinhole here and then run a line down to the F hole to keep it, keep it stable. He said, now that guy there in the front row, he won't be able to see it. You will be, but don't be bothered. He can't. Whoa. I like this guy. Yeah. Why isn't he present? Magic consultant. <laughs> he, was just, he was just great. I really liked him. Yeah. So when I'm looking Ludier. out. Ludier. 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 When I'm looking out, I look out at people. And but I the see, guy who pushes the little boat in Italy, he's still called the Gondoluther, right? Gondoluther. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> boat pusher. Boat pusher, yeah. By the way, I offered your wife. I wrote your wife yeah. a text yeah. that said, uh, your husband says you want to learn to do something else with that hole. <laughs> Bring your mouth over here and I'll teach you something. <laughs> she didn't come running. <laughs> that is what I wrote to her. She wrote, I, I believe you. She wrote back, yeah, yes, I do. <laughs> then I gave her time to learn fire eating is what yes. I'm teaching her. Thank you. And, um, and uh, she couldn't make it that time. Oh, okay. We're going to keep trying. Oh, great. Good, because I, I um, yeah, I want her to learn. I'm curious to kind of learn it, but I definitely want it to be the punchline of something in our in our show. Yes, I can teach her. She learns things well. She does. I've worked with her on a lot of stuff, and she yeah. learns very quickly. She'll be fine. Yeah. Now, when you add pain in, I don't know what that's like, but she, I mean, I have to explain to her that she will get burned. Okay. But the other rules I think she'll be fine with. Because you know my major rule for teaching someone fire eating? Yeah. My major rule yeah. is they have to promise me they will never do it when they're not getting paid. Oh, good. Because everybody I know who's been injured in sideshow skills, yeah. it's always when not being paid. Okay. And that usually includes alcohol or some yeah. party yeah, yeah, situation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Party Showing situation. Off. Yeah. But a party situation, even without alcohol, yeah. it means you're not prepared, you're not focused. Yeah. So you've been learning fire eating. Yeah, let me try something here. Yeah. That's yeah, when yeah. you get hurt. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. That's a great rule. If you're being paid, you'll do it right. Yeah. So that's the rule she will have to follow. Okay. And I have to tell her that she will get hurt. Yeah. And that is a weird thing to tell someone who's learning something. Now, she, I mean, the Apple sisters, I know it sounds silly, but they would do this bit called Pink Wine when yeah. she was in, the, uh, yeah. in, in, her, in her musical comedy trio. And it's this, it was this cute song where they'd sing, and then all of a sudden they'd go to sip this pink wine and blow bubbles out of their mouths. Yeah. That was like really uh, caustic chemical dish soap because the yeah. only the only kind that used it's the only painful. kind that made good bubbles was a yeah. really painful thing. They'd burn the f they chemical burn the shit out of their lips every time they did it. So yeah. I feel like she's okay then. Well, it's like Blue Band Group eating the Captain Crunch. Yeah, you know I told them you can't keep doing this because yeah. you know uh, was it Rostelli the juggler 
who died from infections of his gums from cutting them up with a mouse stick. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah. Suicide. <laughs> uh, one of, I don't know if it was Rastelli, but a, a famous juggler at the turn of the last century. The fin yeah. de saint. Yeah. Um, I think it's pronounced fin de luthier. Fin de luthier. Yeah. <laughs> he, uh, one of his acts, this is a great act. Great act. He would hold the mouth stick. Do you know what a mouth stick is? Nope. It's a stick in your mouth. <laughs> you. I do know then. You bite one end of it, uh-huh. and the other end comes out, in this case, in a point. Okay. I think it was a fork. So he's holding a fork in his mouth. They would have people in the balcony take potatoes, throw them at the stage, and he'd catch them on a mouth stick. I love wow. that trick. I've seen that done before, and it's great. You have? Live? Yeah, with le- lemons. Lemons got thrown it down from the balcony? Not from the balcony, but from the audience to a guy on a unicycle with a fork in his mouth. Yeah. I'm just letting you know I'm peering over Godot's shoulder, and he has a page that says juggling-related <laughs> injuries and deaths up yeah, on this. My name's not on here. I apparently haven't died yet. <laughs> Ooh, this guy. Look at that. That's a good one. Jeez, that guy got hit in the head with something. Um, <laughs> I, I, I was honestly distracted by that injury. I forgot what I was going to say. Harry Lind lost as a, a club maker. Harry yeah. Lynn. Remember Lynn clubs? Yeah, I know Lynn clubs. Uh, he lost three fingers over the years, hollowing out clubs with a rotary burr. Yeah. You would think after the first one, you'd get careful. That's not a... <laughs> Number uh, two, you'd go, wow. That's not a juggling accident. Nah. That's a manufacturing accident. Good point. You should be on the manufacturing page. Yeah. Do you work at Wikipedia? We need to update this. Yeah. Um, um, I listened to an interview with Teller. Yeah, yeah, yeah. On uh, the Magician's Podcast. Yep. In it, he, Did he talk about the mouth stick thing we're working on? A ton of mouth stick stuff. Are you are you working on a mouth stick? No. <laughs> I I just could not find a way to make it so that you arm the audience and have them throw shit at you. I saw Alice Cooper arm the audience with ping pong balls yeah. and have them throw ping pong balls at him. And even that looked uncomfortable. Yeah. You do marshmallows. Potatoes seem brutal. No, thank you. I mean, you couldn't, but catch, t- you couldn't catch a marshmallow on a mouth stick. Not on a mouth stick, no, but you catch it in your mouth. Yeah, you could. No, I remember I, I, when I, I thought it'd be funny to do a potato cannon bullet catch. Yeah, yeah. Of some sort. Yeah. And then I had Brian Brushwood explain to me that a potato gun is a gun. <laughs> <laughs> a potato is just a bullet. And that there's really not a lot different than that. And so whatever you think about doing, you're thinking about really injuring yourself and maybe think about a diff- different kind of trick. So no, I don't think there are also marshmallow guns though. There are marshmallow guns. Marshmallow catch. Yeah. Okay, go on with your teller story. (laughs) Okay, so uh, you know we've heard we've heard different. uh, This is an interview of which I'm unaware, right? I believe you don't. I can't believe you don't know about it. But it's uh, I don't know how you guys work with that kind of stuff. But teller does. uh, I tell Glenn about all my press. Yeah. Teller sneaks it in. (laughs) Teller just shows up on NPR. He does stealth press because he he's afraid if he tells Glenn, it might actually sell a ticket to our goddamn show. <laughs> so Teller wants to make sure that he doesn't do anything crass, like actually improving our bottom line. He's gonna let well, me I learned that. about this on Twitter. That's why I get an idea. I'm going to go on Celebrity Apprentice, where 8 million people will see me every week, and they'll sell tickets to the show. And Teller says, I'm going to do a production of Macbeth in New Jersey at a community <laughs> theater. <laughs> That's the balance in the Penn and Teller show. Teller tries to find stuff, you know. Oh, I wonder if there's a dance group in South Africa that I can work with that 
I want to make sure it can't sell one fucking ticket to the Ben and Teller show. I want to be the Paul Simon of magic. Yeah. Um, Enrico Rastelli is the guy who died. You were I correct. said Rastelli. You correct. With the mouth stick, 1931. Right? Yeah, mouth stick infection. Yeah. Ugh. Little cuts in your mouth over the time, you, you'll die. Oh. How about that? You talk about Penn being wrong about everything. Penn knows the injury of a juggler in 1931, <laughs> the name and how he died. I mean, just crushed it. I know something. Oh, oh there have been some ugly ones. Oh, good Lord. 2001, a guy in Croatia juggled a live hand grenade and killed himself and six people. <laughs> That's fucking awful. <laughs> That's so... That's Croatia. the dumbest thing ever. That was his act? Or he was just a gag? That uh, apparently is part of his act. Oh, right, Lord. read the whole thing. In 2001, a college student in... 2001! Croatian city of Vidovki killed himself and injured six others when he attempted to juggle a live hand grenade and it ended in an explosion. Apparently, Charlie Parker died watching Dorsey Brothers' stage show on television. He was watching the Piero Brothers, a South African juggling act, and started laughing. The laughing turned to choking, and Parker, already in very poor health due to multiple ailments, died. Charlie Parker died watching jugglers? Watching jugglers is what How can we not know that? (laughs) Jugglers killed Charlie Parker. No wonder the animosity between jazz musicians and jugglers. I thought it was just they were all fighting for the bottom of the barrel. Um, <laughs> so tell her Tell her to an interview? <laughs> there's no way that this interview could sell any tickets to our show, right? I think, I mean, uh, magicians will Every magician's going to come see our show <laughs> <laughs> well, We're going to find out what Teller said in this interview After this break oh. <laughs> Now we're back What the fuck did Teller say? <laughs> First of all, like when people call this is this is this is awful. I'm going to tell I'm going to tell a, a big secret here. Yeah. People call our office. Yeah. And they'll say to Glenn, uh, we want Penn to do this podcast, and we have all these atheists that listen. You'll be able to sell tickets to any atheists. And Glenn always goes, we own the fucking atheists. Put them on a <laughs> Christian show. <laughs> if you're an atheist, you already know about Penn and Teller. And you're already going to the show. show. You're already <laughs> going to the show. If you're a magician, you know about Penn and Teller. Get us on a juggling show. <laughs> So Teller's not selling tickets to the show. Correct. Being interviewed on what, what podcast? The Magician's Podcast. It actually was run by guys who are associated with the Magic Circle. Oh, really? Yeah. It's called the Magician's Podcast? Yeah. Okay. So he's loud on the podcast, but again, not in the building, right? Well, they talk, they talk about it quite frankly, and, and that was the thing. It was one of the two things I want to talk to you about was he was much less uh, uh, judicious about talking about the Magic Circle. He just ripped it apart straight up. <laughs> It was the most like you know caustic takedown. You know Piff's prayer, right? Yes. You know Piff's, Piff's prayer. Piff's prayer is he gets on his knees every night, holds his hands up, and says, "Dear God, please let me never know what Teller really thinks of me." <laughs> Piff believes that Teller is the meanest man alive. Yeah. Uh, that was one of our meetings with the uh, the guy who produced X Files. David, uh, no, 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 um, uh, who made the mistake of saying after I was explaining something, said to me, it doesn't matter. Doesn't yeah. Matter, said to me, uh, well, I can understand why Teller stays quiet uh, because, you know, all this stuff you say. <laughs> and Teller said, he's talking because uh, I would say stuff more frankly than he is. As a matter of fact, let me do that. 
Right. So much for Penn and Teller being in the X-Files. <laughs> um, Teller always speaks more frankly than I do. Yes. So I was judicious about the magic circle. Yeah. Teller was not. No. It just was what, like... <laughs> what, what did Teller have to say? <laughs> he said that the, uh, the protecting of magic secrets as the number one uh, thing to do in magic is so condescending to the audience that it's offensive and that anyone who, who is associated with that is just a bunch of amateurs. <laughs> 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 I love that. And what's really important about that, yeah. there's no joke and no hyperbole. No. And there's no fuck you. It's just, this is the way I see it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Once again, let's all drop to our knees. Please, Please God. I, I, I'm so afraid to even tell them about Magic Square I'm working on. <laughs> <laughs> Piff used to be a fundamentalist. Yeah. He started out doing uh, magic for Christ and juggling for Christ. Yeah. And this is the only thing he still prays about. <laughs> but he also brought up uh, your time getting on, uh, on Letterman. Yeah. And I've heard different versions of the story from you, mm -hmm. uh, both on and off air. I, but what I didn't realize, he put it in the context that I don't think I've heard from you before, which is I didn't realize the, the strategy. In other words, I never even thought about the fact that whether or not Letterman had previously had magicians on at all uh -huh. and what he thought of magicians mm -hmm. in, as, a, as a whole. Yeah. And that you guys were trying to plan for all of that. Yeah. And then he brought up that uh, you guys, because Eddie Gordetsky was writing for him at the time, right? Yeah. So you rehearsed as with Gordetsky being Letterman? Yeah. I didn't know that. We I, do so that a lot. You blitz that. Basically, you try to come up with lines that, like, you try to just take on every scenario he might throw at you and just be prepared for every scenario. Yeah, we first went on, you know, uh, like like anything you'd expect. Yeah. Uh, uh, the relationship changes. Yeah. Now, David Letterman in the mid '80s. Yeah. Was the motherfucker. Yeah. You know, it was Stern and Letterman. Yeah. And they were the meanest, baddest alpha male. People you could possibly yeah, have. Telling their taint, telling stories. Yeah. <laughs> telling their taint. And um, Letterman did not like magicians. Right. And he only dealt with like, Kar uh, not Karnak, um, Kmar. Yeah. Right. Kmar on and ridiculed him. Yeah. And uh, Letterman ridiculed a lot of people. He was really, really mean in the 80s. Yeah. People have forgotten that. Yes. You know, people have forgotten how mean Stern was. Right. Stern's now this woke guy after his heart attack or whatever he had. And he's, he's uh, apologizing, basically apologizing for his past. He's embarrassed. He's, he's on this book tour. And he's embarrassed about his past. Yeah, good good angle for the book tour. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so when I went on both of them, I was, you, you, you can't imagine the fear. Yeah. Also, I would not do television until I was 30. Right. So I went on Saturday Night Live and Letterman right when I turned 30. Yeah. So I just turned 30 and I was going on and I knew what Letterman did to people. Yeah. And I knew we were going on with a magic trick. So I was terrified and I knew that I'd be doing the talking. Yeah. And uh, I go up against Letterman one on one. And I've told this story before that time slowed down. Yeah. I was so scared that it was slow motion. Yeah. And I was terrified. And, but the relationship changes, right? Because we went on the first time and uh, then Letterman said, come on, on, hit me hard, be as mean as you can. Yeah. We did the cockroaches. And then later on, it was developing into Dave really being very helpful. Yeah. You know, yeah, very yeah. helpful. But we still, and this is always a question. This is always a question that we we talked about forever. We did the April Fool's joke 
with uh, with Chris. Yeah. Uh, Chris Hardwick. Yeah. We did this great April Fool's show, a fool us, and we debated forever whether to dummy him up is the term. Dummy up means almost the opposite of what you would think. Right. Uh, in uh, in magic and carny, and dummy up is to tell someone how a trick is done. Yeah. You know. So it's never dummy up a never dummy up a mark. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tell. But we have always discussed whether to dummy someone up. So we're going to go on a uh, Leno or Letterman or one of those shows, and the question is you're going to rehearse. Now, one of the rehearsals for a bit that did not go well, uh, Letterman um, watched us do the rehearsal with Morty, watched in his dressing room, and then came on and busted us some on how the trick was done, which he would have never known did he not watch the rehearsal. Right. It was really uncomfortable. And sometime, once we tried telling Dave exactly what we were going to do, and Dave used that against us in the early days. Right. So then we started doing um, rehearsals with Dave not watching anything and coming in cold. And there's always the argument, if we really fool him, we'll get a good reaction. Then there's the other argument that says this is a pro, he's on his show, Uh, if we do a great performance... That's even better, and he can act it. Turns out you can't get that kind of acting. It's right. the same thing as a plant. So we used to go on Leno and say, you know, they, they we'll do this card trick, and there'll be the card, and you just go, yeah. And, and not tell him how the trick was done, but just tell him the plot. Get much less out of him. Right. you got to have you got to treat them like it's a regular audience, which is weird because watching at home, uh, we know for a fact that Letterman knows every story everyone's going to tell. Right. You never saw it. Right. They know every story. There's no surprise. And they laugh and they set people up and they do the whole thing. And you watch someone on there and boom, 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 boom. They can't seem to do it with magic. Right. Just less experience. Yeah. They don't know how to, they don't know how to fake it. Yeah. So we would, um, uh, we still do this now, but now we don't bring in, you know, hardcore. But haven't you done it with us once? I did for uh, Who's Line. Who's Line, yeah. Yeah, I was part of your prep for Who's Line. Yeah, no, I understand the prep part of it. I actually just like the idea of Eddie Gordetsky being Letterman for you, I thought was like interesting. Oh, yeah. Like, and he uh, came up with this is how it could go bad, this is how it could go good, this is how it could go in the middle. Yeah. Be ready for this. You, but, and it, he had he had Letterman nailed. That's it, because he was writing for him at the time. So like the, that, he, that he was being almost this confederate for you, but it was really, it's a neat Yeah. Neat well, that's, that's the thing. And you, you, you guys understand this very well, especially Godot. Um, when you are writing for somebody... Uh, you will find yourself talking like them yes. in day-to-day life. Yeah. Uh, when Eddie was writing for Letterman, he's a very good friend of mine, um, he got the job, and six months into the job, when you went out to dinner with him, his cadences, yep. his word choices, right. his kind of jokes became Letterman. And you said on when you were writing on bullshit, yeah. you started talking. Start feeling more and more like you. Yeah. yeah. You start doing that. I don't know if you feel that on. Oh, without a doubt, no. Even for Allison, especially shifting from Jonathan Ross to Allison, there was a learning curve on that. And then um, this year, particularly, Paul was doing warm up, so I would go to Paul for extra lines. I've been writing. You know, we'll mm-hmm. be we'll be back with more magic after this. I've been writing sixty different versions of that <laughs> uh, for six for five seasons. So I said, Paul, just throw some stuff at me. Just if you if you're sitting here, he bored, just write ten of these or something mm-hmm. like that. And he would. 
And I would come back to him and be like, oh, and I would just not change the jokes, just the sentence structure and development. Yeah. Be like, no, this is not, this is how she talks. This is how right. she talks. So the time we used yeah. uh, Eddie for this, Eddie yeah. could talk exactly like Letterman. Yeah. And uh, I mean, would, I mean, great. probably the most intense thing was uh, Jackie the Joke Man. Oh, yeah. Who yeah, talked yeah. exactly like Stern. Right. You know, yeah. uh, and not, not even on the air. On the air, he tried to be himself, but off right. the air, he was just stern. And it's, you know, it's, it, it's not creepy or weird. Uh, if you work in a place with a guy, you, the people that work together end up talking alike. Yeah. So it's not that strange. And if your whole job yeah, is true. to make the words sound like this person. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you that, fall into that. And different punchlines just sound different coming out of different people's mouths and stuff yeah, yeah. or whatever. And I actually remember uh, two seasons ago on Fool Us, one of, you, they, one of the guys there was working on a behind-the-scenes web series of the show as a possible yeah. outlet or whatever. And a guy asked me, he's like, oh, can you write some stuff for Penn for this thing if you have time? And I got to write for you again for the first time. And I effectively go, I loved this. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, it took me, I just did it over lunch. And I was like, man, yeah. I loved putting your voice back in my head. I love trying to figure out what would make you laugh, what would be funny coming out of your mouth versus, you know, whatever. I really missed it. I loved it. So, I was like, so I, you I didn't did know until uh, Teller said that, that we warmed up with Eddie. No, I didn't know. And, the, and then I was like, oh, that's so great. And also just like knowing that Eddie worked on the show I just and that he was so funny. But like to go to, to be that kind of battle tested, to go on for that appearance. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. And uh, we ended up, uh, and also Dave, I mean, um, I, there was, um, it was combative. Yeah. The first two or three times at Letterman. Yeah. And then you start to realize that Letterman is really on your side. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He wants the show to be as good as it can be. Right. And the idea is if you're good. Yeah. Letterman's right with you. If you start failing, he tears you apart to save the show. Right. And even if he's being hard on you, sure. he's busting your balls, he's imagining his audience. Yeah. Yeah. And so, like, if he's giving, he's giving you a path to a go at them by yeah. bringing it up. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, so you're, 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 you're playing along. I mean, Letterman, um, and I don't mean to, I, I didn't, I didn't watch him that much after that. So I don't yeah. mean to sell him short later. But when we were on, which we were on like every month. Yeah. In like 89. Um, being out there on the show with Letterman, I don't think that there's ever been anyone, including David Letterman, better at that job than David Letterman was at that moment. Yeah, yeah. And I'm including Carson. Yeah. I'm including everybody. I just think it was just, he was, yeah, it was a razor's edge of perfect. Yeah. And it was also really brutal trying to come up with a Letterman bit every month. You know, while doing eight shows a week on Broadway and writing books and all of that was just brutal. Yeah. You know, and some of the stuff we did was absolute fuck yous. You know, we went to, uh, that no one could ever realize. We went to Morty, Robert Morton, who was the producer at the time. Yeah. And said, we got a, uh, we got a trick for Dave. What do you got, boys? What do you got? And Morty would turn down a lot of shit, which is. Yeah. Infuriating. You work on a bit, and he goes, no, no. And we came up with this great card trick. And Morty said, well, I don't want a card trick. Get something big, big, big. And that's when we got the idea of doing forklifts <laughs> with giant cards. Right. He said, fuck you, it's we'll a do a card fuck trick. You. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> um, we'll, do, we'll do that trick. Oh, and the other thing you brought up was SNL, you're underwater. I mean, um, not uh, another water tank. Upside down. Upside mm down. -hmm. That 
And this is only because just just my own memory forging is that like it just seemed like you were just you know you'd make stuff up on Saturday Night Live. But Teller said that actually SNL famously under rehearses that that they're used to being loose, fast, and loose. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So you guys had rented an office. Yeah. And just and just got your own camera and specifically started working on it to bring to them so they'd be ready for them. Yeah. And it was really hard. Yeah. It was really hard for everybody because because we were upside down. Yeah. They couldn't do the lighting. Yeah. I mean, the story I always tell is them saying, um, we're getting boom shadow on Penn's face, uh, the camera person. The sound people going, there's no boom. There's no boom. They go, we're getting boom shadow on Penn's face. There's no boom. There's no fucking boom. We're getting boom shadow on Penn's face. There's no boom. And I'm upside <laughs> down going, there's a floor mic, which is above me. As you look on the camera, it looks like a boom. It's actually a floor mic because I'm upside down. <laughs> and then Teller saying, and them saying, we're not getting any lighting. I say, because the lighting all has to be on the floor because the lighting you're putting on is lighting our feet. <laughs> And all of this hanging upside down yeah. and, you know, all our blood vessels breaking and headaches. Yeah. And it was just miserable, miserable, terrible, awful uh, every, every second of it. And then, and this question still bothers me, I still can't get this right, uh, they were doing the feed into the booth, which was flipping it, okay? And then Teller said, I want a monitor. Right. I want a monitor that shows me just what they'll be seeing. And the guys came out and said, okay, we have a monitor feed. And do we, if we, if we put it, we got to turn it upside down and tell us, no, I'm upside down. And they said, no, but the booth has turned it upside down. And he goes, but I'm upside down. And they go, which way does the monitor go? And Teller goes, if I look at the monitor the same way you're looking at the monitor, it's already turned over. You've got to turn it over. And the booth said, maybe we can flip that feed to that monitor as they were turning it over. <laughs> So it was just this insane <laughs> amount of time just trying to figure out how Teller could get a monitor to see it. <laughs> and as I bragged before, and it's one of those dumb brags, Yeah. Um, I did not ever do it right until we were live on camera. Yeah, that's what he said. I said the best that ever went was when you actually finally once took I, it. Once I did it right, yeah. <laughs> and that was with the camera on. Yeah. And Lauren Michaels was just amazed. Yeah. Lauren Michaels just said, we watched the rehearsal. It was great, but there were mistakes. And then there, with millions of people watching, <laughs> after all the blood vessels in your face were broken, you just did it. Yeah. And he said, I expect there to be better performance. I don't expect the tech stuff. And I told you, the the big football player um, who, who did our bit on uh, Kathy Lee or one of those shows. or uh, Michael Strahan? Yeah, Michael Strahan. Yeah. Michael Strahan said to me, because he did it. He did the upside down bit. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, they did it. And he, when I met me afterwards, he just went, the throw of the bagel through the hoop upside down and the catch? <laughs> he said nothing in my, uh, in my sports history yeah. was as hard as that. He said, I was just going, watching a video going, he makes this catch? How does he make this catch? And I said, I, I made the catch once. Once. He said, once? I said, once on the show. I made the catch once. That was it. Didn't do it any wow. other time. Yeah. 
It's a hard <laughs> catch because you know people juggle and, upside down. Yeah. And thus began the YouTube magic movement. <laughs> <laughs> I got it right once. Mm-hmm. Exactly, get it right once <laughs> and you're done. So I spent time with Tim. Uh huh. Tim Jennison. How's Tim? We haven't well, seen Tim in a long he's time. He's doing great. You know, people ask about him all the time from Tim's Vermeer. And in San Antonio, yeah. they were very excited. They were going, Well, you know, Tim's from San Antonio. Was he in the audience tonight? I said, Yes. They said, Where is he? I said, In my air conditioning dressing room <laughs> while I'm out here with you, <laughs> sweltering. He's back comfortable. But Tim has painted. He was in Tasmania last time. He's painted three more Vermeers. Wow. A, a, a Caravaggio. He's working on uh, Teresis. Um, he has. He's working on his dissertation. He has two assistants. He has somebody. I love this. I mean, uh, Tim has sold his company. He's sold new. Yeah, I heard he's that. Totally retired now. Wow. And Tim I'm so screwed. Tim is <laughs> Tim is successful. I got know. my TriCaster just in time. Tim, <laughs> yeah. Oh, Tim made a lot of money. There's no doubt about that. We right. show him in his helicopter. He's a helicopter pilot. Yeah. That means money. But now he's retired. And he lives in a in a a, a nice house, but not mm-hmm. not a palace. Right. Um, and he is spending his money exactly right in the way nobody does. He wants to write his dissertation. He said, I don't want to sound stupid, so I want to know art history. So he's hired a history professor, art history professor, and she comes to the warehouse, and they have a monitor set up for her PowerPoint, and she gives all her lectures for all her college classes to Tim (laughs) one-on-one, and Tim can ask questions. Wow. And then... What's shocking her, of course, and I think probably terrifying her, he didn't say this, this is me extrapolating, mm-hmm. is she gives him homework, but Tim does it. So Tim reads a book a night. When she says, this is the book you should be reading, he comes in the next day having read it and with notes on it. Because oh. Tim reads about yeah. six, six, seven hours a day. Oh, my God. He just reads, bangs the stuff out and takes notes on everything. So she has the greatest student in the world, which is wonderful and also must be terrifying. Because if you're teaching Art 101, you've never had anyone who's done all the work. No. She does now. (laughs) Yeah. And he's putting together all this stuff. And he went, uh, as he said, I kind of went down the rat hole of perception. So we were talking about, you know, there's that part in Moby Dick. I guess maybe not everybody else has memorized Moby Dick. <laughs> right. Um, but when we asked, we had uh, Dawkins mm. on either the podcast or the radio show. I forgot which. Yeah, it was on the podcast. Podcast. And I asked him what the most important scientific question was, and he said, consciousness. What is consciousness? And I've been doing the Sam Harris thing for almost a year now, mm-hmm. every day. So Sam Harris is constantly making me turn around and think about consciousness. I've been reading a bit about consciousness. And um, there's that famous uh, question, uh, what does it feel like to be a bat? Mm-hmm. One of our most profound, can you imagine being a bat? Right. And in Moby Dick, there's a description where Melville goes on and on about the fact that the, the, uh, the whale has eyes on either side of the head. The whale cannot see in front of it. Right. Cannot see in front of it. There's no way they can see in front of them. And they can't see behind them. They can only see the side of them. Mm -hmm. And the question is, how in the whale's consciousness, and we now know from all sorts of studies that animals have consciousness too. Right. Which uh, 
get back to Georgia a little bit later on their human <laughs> stuff. Because um, maybe if you're going to go with the heartbeat and consciousness and awareness and you want to protect fetuses, you've got a lot of explaining to do about other animals. But go yeah. ahead. Um, so the, what is the whale perceiving on those two sides? How do you get a worldview mm -hmm. out of the two sides? You know, you're swimming and you have to have something you're seeing in vision. And we also know, uh, you know, up until the 19th century, we just believed that we saw the world that was out there. And then certain illusions brought to mind and demonstrated we don't see the world at all. We have a world out there that's about 30 milliseconds behind, uh, ahead of where we are. We live in the past, about 30 milliseconds, to, 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 um, to correct for when I slap my hand down, there's, uh, I get the tactile feel, I get the sound, and I get the vision. And all of those arrive at my head at different times. So it has to do a buffer of 30 milliseconds to be able to have those happen at the same time. All that correction's done mm -hmm. in my head. So consciousness is not what the world is out there. Consciousness is the story that your brain tells from the light, sound, and texture stuff it gets. Wow. So it is kind of like you have a dollhouse of Sims inside your head that then clicks that stuff in. Yeah. And Tim said that um, when they're doing the comparator mirror, which is the point yeah. of Tim's Vermeer, they've done many hundreds now of experiments with non-painters who've never painted and with painters using the comparator mirrors. Painters hate it and can't use it. They're always wrong. Their paintings suck. Uh, Non-painters do a great job. Oh, wow. <laughs> and one of the problems is uh, uh, a thing called um, uh, constance, constancy, constancy of vision. Uh, what your brain is constantly doing is correcting everything. So skin tone stays the same. Now, when, when you're outside and you're inside or you're under fluorescent lights or tungsten lights, the colors are entirely different, but your brain is correcting for that. Your brain also will not allow you to see shadows. So Tim said putting black into the flesh tones was impossible for the artists. Tim would walk around and go, you are at least two, two stops wrong on your face. It's too mm -hmm. bright. Uh, this part of the face is almost black. It's in complete shadow. And they go, you can't put black in the flesh tone. There's no black in the flesh tone. He goes, there's no, and I'm looking over at you now. Right. You're lit from the window over here. Yeah. And this underneath your chin, yeah. this side of your face is really, really dark. Yeah. It has to be. I can't see it that way. Right. I see you having one sort of color. Right. And uh, that constancy, and the constancy told me is a term of art in perception. Mm -hmm. Because I said, you mean consistency? He said, no, no, constancy. Right. Luthier. Um, Luthier. Luthier. Uh, <laughs> Got a Luthier. Uh, all this stuff, like Tim says, also we have x-ray vision. Because uh, there's many theorists now that say the 3D imaging is not nearly as important as the x-ray imaging. If you have leaves in front of your eyes, I can still see you. Right. I can block out this entirely, right. and I can still see you fine. 
Right. And we also have constancy of size. When someone's walking down the street, you don't perceive them as little. Right. And man, there's this experiment. I don't know if you can do, if you hold your two hands out like this. So one okay. further apart than the other. Yeah, one, one, one. So you're holding your hand oh, yeah, out okay. with the back to sure. you. Yeah. And one's about eight inches closer to you. Okay. Yeah. Now hold them like that, and they are the same size. Now close one eye, and if you do it just right, the near one will pop to big on you as your brain tries to adjust. Oh, yeah. Your brain's doing the adjustment to make those the same size. And if you close your eyes once, for a moment you can get the reality, oh, which yeah, is sure. one's yeah. a lot bigger. Oh, that's funny. And uh, nice. all this stuff walking down the, walking so, down the street. <sighs> so all of this stuff... Tim has got someone else who's teaching him perception. Because yeah. all of this ties into his dissertation, which I think is going to be like a thousand pages. <laughs> right. No, because this is digging something much deeper, right? So from our perspective, all this makes sense. And you're like, oh, neato. Yeah. Why? Like, uh, why, why are we doing it? Like how? I don't know. Well, yeah. Uh, we have to say what evolution. Yeah. You got your whale. Yeah. Okay. And it's going to have to see predators and prey, and the eyes are evolving. Yeah. You've got to find some way to process that. And that's the thing that makes your skin crawl. Yes. Because what we call consciousness. Yeah. And this is part of what the vegan thing is. It's so bothersome. What we call consciousness, the awareness that we're alive. Seems like it has to evolve to put sound, light, and all that stuff to together. To synthesize information. Yeah. And the question that Dawkins is being driven crazy by, and that Sam Harris not is being driven, has been driven crazy by, um, <laughs> is how does that consciousness and the awareness of self, um, uh, what does it feel like to be a bat? There's a consciousness. The whales also got a, a, the sonar. Right. And so they have another whole set of images in their head that to them must appear as vision. Must. Must appear as they vision. They also have that way of breathing where I think that to a whale, breathing must be like having to pee. Yeah. Right? Because there's, there can't be the incredible uh, right. urgency. They can't be like, I'm going to try. All right, I'm going back under. They're down for like they're down for like <laughs> an, an hour and a half. Yeah. They're down for like an hour and a half. Yeah. So imagine having to breathe every hour and a half. And then Melville, and of course Melville's um cytology is not correct because it's written in the 19th century. Right. But he says that the whale takes the same number of breaths every time. So they come up, they breathe 70 times, and they go back down. And it changes from whale to whale, but with each whale it's consistent. Now, I don't know if that's true. It's so in back, they're not like me swimming. Exactly. <laughs> they got a rhythm going. They got a rhythm going. But I didn't know. I didn't know that whales worked that way. I, don't, I thought I don't know that. Moby Dick took, had a swimmer's body. Took one breath and then went down. But they don't. They come up and they I auction. They take a few. They take a bunch. Yeah. Yeah. I don't imagine he's that far off. He says seventy. I didn't realize that either, and that I'm makes close it close to him. And I don't know how many it is. I don't. It's hard. That's hard to say. Yeah. He said, if not in any way disturbed. Okay, that's yeah. that makes it crazier to me. Yeah, because if it was just one or two big breaths or you know whatever. Yeah, they have to auctionate all the stuff that's filling up in there. Wow, but we don't know. Now we've got we've brought we've welcomed Melville <laughs> uh, along with uh, Wolf uh, 
Naomi Wolf. Right. Naomi Wolf and Melville are welcome to come on our show and say things that aren't true because <laughs> we're really good at that. But sitting with Tim, I got to tell you, sitting outside with Tim with a decaffeinated espresso and a seltzer in front of me, mm-hmm. talking for six hours. Right. After we spent the night before at a vegan Thai place talking for four hours. Uh, and uh, of just Tim explaining to me what he's learning about art history. Right. Where he said that uh, semiotics, he could not understand. He'd read, he said, postmodern semiotics, he just can't see, and his teacher couldn't get him through. It's really, really hard. But he finally got a little bit more of a take on modern art, feeling good about all sorts of stuff. And then this, this perception thing. So what happens is, when you see something out there, you are building in your head from the pieces you have a world right. that exists out there. But there's nothing being recorded. You're telling yourself a story in your head that puts it together. So when I'm looking over at you now, I'm not seeing just the light and stuff. I have an image of Matt in my head and an image of flesh in my head that I'm putting together in this weird little... It's my analogy, so it's not a good one. But right. I just keep saying it's a dollhouse. Yeah. We get the information out there. We put our dolls together in here. We have something. Right. And as Tim said, we have x-ray vision because you put something in front of one eye, we can still see. Right. And we also, all of us can see in the future because you can't catch a baseball without seeing in the future. Right. Right. And we all are mind readers. And Tim says, and I don't know enough about this to talk about it, so I'm going to because we're on Sunday school. <laughs> <laughs> the red, red, green indicators in our vision are so, so delicate, crazy delicate. And scientists are starting to realize that we are able to see differences in the color of flesh that are really subtle and that tell you the mood of the person you're talking to instantly. You see a red blue shift in the amount of blood that's going to the face, that you are reading and indicating uh, all sorts of stuff. You're actually reading the person's mind by the way their skin tone changes. Wow. Really interesting stuff. And it seems like the eyes are built to do that. And remember... I can't wait to do a a bullshit magic trick based on that principle. Take that, micro-expressions. How many times <laughs> How many times have magicians been listening to something going, I can't wait to do a bullshit magic trick based on a half-understanding of this really fascinating principle. I can't wait to ruin this. And they get asked to be a part of a talk about it yeah, yeah. 30 years later. Hmm. <laughs> yeah. Micro-expressions, yeah. uh, neuro-linguistic programming, <laughs> bio-rhythms, yeah. everything. Magicians take it and just yeah. Subliminal messaging. Hypnotism. <laughs> <laughs> Give us a scientific idea. We can ruin it. We can that's pee what magi- all over it. Yeah, that's yeah. what magicians are saying. <laughs> we'll change it to a card force. Yeah. <laughs> I can tell what card you have by the color of your skin. I did. We had we had we had like therapists on as guests one time on Ice Cream Social, and they were like, well, "Matt, since you're getting magic, you understand this principle because this that." I go, "No, no, no. <laughs> I do a trick based on that principle. I do not understand that principle. I don't know what's going on in my audience's head. Yeah, <laughs> I'm just trying to yeah. make them laugh. I say that, but that's not what's happening. <laughs> okay. Well, I think uh, I have to pee. 
Okay. You know what that battle, means? Battle close. You have to breathe like a whale? <laughs> yeah. That was Penn Sunday School. Everybody all together now. Cha-cha-cha. <laughs> you become naked, and you should swim over my house. And you're swimming naked in your own house. That's okay. It's not okay. It's okay. You hired those people. You're paying those people to be there. They can't see you naked. Yes, they can. I'm naked in the pool. <laughs> they can. They don't want to see me naked. They don't want to see you naked. Can I ask them? Yes. I think you probably could get permission from them, but Written then you permission. might draw their attention to it. <laughs> don't, I mean, what is there to see, really? Oh, I can't wait for you to explain to your daughter that you've gotten permission to swim naked from that guy <laughs> working on your roof. You know I love you. <laughs>